Hello and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's free resources, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, thank you so much for drawing us together, and I pray that I would become less and you would become more, that you would give me the words to speak in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Following God often entails a certain amount of risk, and our final question of faith in this series addresses the question, as a Christian, do I need to share my faith with others, and if so, how do I do it? Now, I understand that some hearing this may think that that's a really strange question to ask because surely the answer has to be, yes, we do need to share the truth of Christ with others. After all, just before Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection, he gave his followers a final instruction that's known as the Great Commission. It's actually found in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This final instruction is very clear. We are to share the truth of Christ in order to make disciples of all nations. When a person comes to faith, we're to then baptize them in the name of the triune God. As they go under and come up from the water, they're not only identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but they're also depicting dying to self and being raised to new life in Christ. And after that, we are to teach them to obey God's commands as they walk in relationship with him. Now, I want to be very plain about what Jesus instructed us to do, because I often have new believers tell me, oh, well, you know, when I know more about Jesus, then I'll feel ready to be baptized. But do you see that there is a specific progression here in what Jesus says? First, someone becomes a disciple, a follower of Christ. Then they're baptized. The teaching comes after that. So we're baptized as an act of obedience to Christ's command, not as proof of the fact that we fully understood everything yet. Now, perhaps you wonder why I'm giving such attention to the details of the Great Commission, but it is actually for good reason. The Barna Research Group here in America, which continually asks Christians about what they believe and about their relationship with God and what it's really like, recently did a survey and discovered that more than half the people who identify themselves as Christian in the United States do not even know what the Great Commission is. Jesus' final directive to his followers is that they should replicate themselves, spreading the good news about him and teaching people the truths of Scripture. For many of us, the thought of sharing the gospel or the good news of Christ with others is a daunting task. After all, shouldn't that be left to the professionals? 
But in reality, all of us have a story to share about Christ and how he's transformed our lives or helped us. Let's look in the word at something we find in John chapter 9 when Jesus met a man who'd been born blind. It says in verse 1, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Sorry. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, at that time, people often thought that if you were struggling with an illness or particularly a disability, it must be some sort of a judgment from God that you or your parents must have done something to deserve it. Look at what Jesus says, though. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus said that sin is not the cause of this man's physical condition, but so that God's work could be revealed in him, Jesus was going to help him. Now, it was the Sabbath, but Jesus stooped down and spat on the ground. He made clay with his saliva, and he put the mixture on the blind man's eyes, telling him to go and wash in a sacred pool in Jerusalem. Once the man had obeyed Christ's command, he came back able to see. Now, as I mentioned in one of our previous questions, many look at this and will tell you that it's a healing. But I want you to understand that this is far more than that. Jesus didn't restore the man's sight. He gave him sight that he'd never had before. And right there, this steps out of the realm of healing and becomes a miracle of creation. No one could believe it because this had never happened before in the history of men. Look at verse 8. I want you to pay special attention to what the man says by way of explanation. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Obviously, the man didn't know where Jesus was because in obedience, he'd left Christ to go and wash in the pool. I understand the neighbor's reaction may have been out of shock, but it's really interesting to me that these sighted people struggled to recognize him. You see, they could not believe that such a miracle could really happen. In fact, what had happened was so remarkable, they took the man who had been born blind to the religious leaders and the teachers of the law. The religious leaders asked him how he was now able to see, and he told them his story. The Pharisees found this to be so unusual, they wondered if it had all been an act. After all, perhaps Jesus had switched the blind man for someone who just looked like him. And so they called the man's parents to ask them if this really was their son. After his parents confirmed that he was indeed their son who'd been born without sight, 
the religious leaders ask the man for a second time what had happened, and again he tells them that he doesn't know much about who'd given him sight. At this stage, all he could tell them was, One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I find it really encouraging that although the man didn't know much about Jesus, he had his testimony. If you read through the story, first he said Jesus was a man, then a prophet, and then he said he didn't know anything about who he was. He may not have been able to hold a theological discussion at this moment, but what he could talk about was how Jesus had touched him personally. We too may feel as if we don't know much. We may not even have had all our own questions about Jesus answered yet, but we can still share our testimony with others. However, just because we share our testimony with them doesn't mean that they will always like what we say. Upon hearing what the man who had been born blind had to say, the Jewish religious leaders hurled insults at him, and declaring that he was obviously steeped in sin at birth, the Pharisees immediately threw him out of the temple. At that point, this man was excommunicated. In other words, he was cut off from the Jewish people, because of his stand for Jesus. He had been so convinced of Christ's love and power that even under their pressure, he had maintained his own story of Christ's goodness to him. Can you imagine this man walking away from the teachers of the law, knowing that he'd been cut off from his people for telling the truth? He must have felt so alone and concerned for his future, but look at verse 35, he was not alone. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man said. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Concerned that the man fully understand what had happened to him, Jesus sought him out and revealed himself as the Messiah, the Son of Man. This was something Jesus did to very few people during his ministry. In fact, he often told people not to share his identity. But he knew this man's particular vulnerability. He knew the man had been cut off from his family and friends, from all that he'd known before, really. The man needed to be assured about what he'd just experienced and exactly who Jesus was, so that he could walk with confidence in the new life he'd been given. I think this really teaches us a lot about sharing Christ with others, because like this man, we may not know at all, We actually may know very little of Christ and his word, but from the very beginning, we have a testimony about how he's dealt with us, how he's helped us in our own lives, and we can and should share that with others, whether they're willing to accept it or not. Irrespective of what happens, Jesus has said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And as it was for this man, Jesus will teach us more about himself as we walk with him. Let me encourage you to start by sharing your testimony with others of how Christ has helped you in your own life with the things you've faced. 
We don't have to defend Jesus. And remember, we don't have to sell him either. Merely share what he has done for us, because people really can't argue with that. Now, I understand that often a big concern of ours is, what if they reject what I say? After all, we want to represent the Lord well and we want to be effective in our witness. But as we see with this man, it isn't always possible to win people for Jesus. Perhaps we are just one link in the chain of events that will bring them to him. Our job is to speak the truth in love, and how others respond to our testimony is really not our responsibility, no matter how concerned for them we may be. Everyone has the gift of free choice, and what they do with the good news of Jesus Christ is really up to them. They can receive it or reject it. It has always helped me, though, to remember that if they choose to reject it, they're really rejecting the Holy Spirit more than they are rejecting me personally. I just have to love them anyway. For our part, Jesus said that if we love him, we will obey his commands. And sharing our testimony is really our act of obedience done out of love for him. I want us to look at the word, at some of the basic things to share with someone who expresses an interest in Jesus in order to help them understand what the good news is really all about. Now, most of these scriptures come out of the book of Romans to make it easier. You could commit some of them to memory, but the main thing is, is to be able to communicate what they say in some way. We first have to understand what we're told in Romans 3, verses 10 to 12. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And also in Romans 3, 23, we're told all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us matches up to God's standard when it comes to righteousness. In fact, Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us that when compared to God, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all fall short of the mark when it comes to being righteous. And in fact, that's the biblical definition of sin, missing the mark. And Romans 6, 23 confirms that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The scriptures clearly teach us that man is an eternal being. We will all live forever. The only difference is where that will be. Eternal life is living for all eternity in God's presence with him. And eternal death is not about ceasing to exist, but rather it's about existing for all eternity, separated from God. We all owe a debt to God. We deserve death and separation from him forever. But we're told in Romans 5 verse 8 that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus paid our debt on the cross. The punishment and separation from God that we should have borne, 
was upon Christ instead. But what are we to do to be saved from God's judgment? We are to believe in the one that God has sent. Romans 10 verses 9 through 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It is as simple as that. Romans 10 verse 13 confirms that for us. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Romans 5 verse 1, it adds, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Once I call on the name of Jesus and ask him to forgive me and save me, I have peace with God the Father, just as if I'd never sinned. Romans 8 verse 1 further assures us, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the wrath of God that we deserved was upon Christ, and we have been released from our debt. And we can know the truth of what Paul said in Romans 8, 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How is all of this possible? Well, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 gives us the wonderful answer. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are saved by grace. Think of it as God's riches at Christ's expense. Salvation is a gift, and the fact that it is a gift means that it comes with no cost to us. But make no mistake, it is costly, and God's own Son has paid the price. Our own good works are insufficient to make us children of God. But once we are his children, because of the forgiveness of Christ, we will do good works because we belong to him. Or as I always like to say, we do not work to become the children of God, but we work because we are children of God. Once we understand this incredible gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, we will not live our lives in the same way that we used to. In John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11, there was a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. She was brought to Jesus by the Pharisees who threw her at his feet. The scripture tells us that they were really trying to trap Jesus because if he didn't condemn her for her sin, they would be able to accuse him of breaking the law of Moses, which stated that as an adulteress, she deserved death. However, if Jesus condemned her, then the people would have seen him as being no friend of sinners. 
They thought that they'd trapped him between a rock and a hard place, but Jesus said nothing and merely stooped to write in the soft dirt at his feet. We're not told what he wrote, but whatever it was, it had a marked effect on her accusers, because when he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. They all began to drop their rocks and walk away till no one was left. Jesus, in verse 10, straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. There's something very important here because Jesus was without sin. He was the only one there who could have cast a stone, and yet he showed her mercy instead of judgment. However, though Jesus accepted her the way that she was, he did not want her to stay the way that she was. He told her, go now and leave your life of sin. Some people have the impression that because we're saved by grace, that holiness is never really an issue. But that's not what we see here. Jesus accepts us. He loves us. And because he loves us, he wants us to be transformed. He wants us to live free of what once bound us. So does that mean that as Christians we never ever sin? Of course not. Being a Christian is not about being perfect. It's about being forgiven. We all sin at one time or another. We all fall off the path from time to time. But when we do, we repent and get back on it. That said, we need to remember that repentance is more than being sorry for what we've done. It's about being sorry enough to change our direction in life. What is at issue here is really our walk, the habit of our daily life. This is not about one momentary snapshot of your life, because honestly, if you take enough snapshots, there will be some bad ones. All of us who have Facebook pages can attest to the many times we've untagged ourselves from unflattering pictures. But this is not about a random snapshot of our life. Rather, it concerns the movie of your life. A single event may look bad, but the real issue is, what is the pattern of your daily walk? Because if we follow Christ, it will begin to look different. This is often where the enemy defeats us and discourages us because, yes, we fail from time to time. Yes, we sin. But as important as it is to stay on the right path, it's even more important to get back on the right path when you do fall off it. We have a God who will always forgive and always welcome us back. It's never too late. Christ is in the business of transforming lives. It's often a slow process, but we need to keep on following him in the new life he's given to us. The fact that we do is really proof that he is actually our Lord. So what are the essentials as I share my faith with others? Well, admit no matter how good we try to be, we all fall short of God's standard. 
and that according to what God has said, the punishment for sin is death, separation from him forever. But because Jesus Christ died on the cross, we can be forgiven and reconciled to God the Father. If we repent by turning from our old life of sin to a new life in Christ. And yes, he will help us with that. We only need ask. All a person then has to do is receive through faith in the risen Christ, God's free gift of salvation. May God bless you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus who does for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, if it were up to us in our own righteous acts, we would be cast adrift. Lord, woe to me, a sinner. And yet, because of Jesus and his great love for us, because he bled and died on the cross, we can say that we can boldly approach your throne of grace with confidence. We can call you Abba, Father, Daddy. Lord, thank you so much that you treat us in a way that we do not deserve. But such is grace. We thank you, Lord God, for Jesus. It is in his precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.